this morning, um, I've got a neat opportunity to, to speak on something that all of you are going to hate me for. Um, and so are, are you ready to find out what we're talking about? Come on now, help me preach this morning. Are you ready to find out? All right, we're talking about the topic of divorce this morning. Ah, oh, crap. <laughs> it's okay, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry, it's not that kind of message. For those of you that might be excited in here, turn to your other neighbor that you ignored and say, it's not that kind of message either. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're going to be talking about divorce, and here's the thing. Th- th- this morning, if you have thought about checking out immediately, uh, one, because you're not married, or two, because you're not thinking about it at all, listen, I need you to hang on with me, because this goes way farther than just the idea of divorce that we think about, okay? It goes way beyond that. Um, and, and so here's the thing. I, I have never, and, and I know this is going to sound... Uh, I don't know the right word. It's going to sound really cocky, but I've never heard a message like this preached on divorce before. Never. Um, and, and I want you to tune in because here's the thing. Uh, this is going to affect the way that you do life forever. Okay? It, it is. It's going to change the, rate that you, the, the, the way that you read the Old Testament. Um, I, I was given, and, and so we gotta, I've got to take you on a little bit of a journey, though, to get there, okay? Um, and, and so we're going we're gonna to walk through this path to get to the end result where we talk about divorce. But we've got to build some stuff together. And, and, and my hope is, is that by the end of this message, you have helped me put some of the pieces together in your head, okay? Um, but where we got to start is a few weeks ago, I was given this, uh, this idea through Facebook. I, I asked, hey, what are some topics that you want to hear taught on? And divorce wasn't one of those because we treat divorced people crazy in church, right? Don't we do that, though? Like, we treat divorced people crazy. As, as, a, as a general church population, not Momentum Church, but generally across America, we treat divorced people ridiculous, right? Like, we could, we could have somebody walk in and they say, yeah, I was, uh, you know, uh, an armed robber and I shot three people, but then I got saved. And we're like, oh, come, hand them the microphone. Let's hear them talk. But then you have somebody walk in and they're like, yeah, you know, I had a bad relationship and it ended in divorce. And we're like, all right, sit down over there, shut up. You, you need to receive today, right? <laughs> like, I'm being serious. The church has given divorced people a really bad name. Um, and okay, so for those of you that are divorced in here, which is probably statistically about half of you in here, right, that's not momentum. And we're not going to do that. And it can start with us as to how we treat divorced people because, listen, it's, yeah. Listen, I found out this week, uh, a, a longtime friend of mine, I did not know this, uh, they came from a divorce background, just found out this week, right? Listen, there's people all over the place that go through divorces for one reason or another, and we do not have the right or the authority to look down on any divorced person, yeah. period. And, and that's not what we're going to do here at Momentum Church. We're just not. Um, so the topic was brought up uh, by Kathy Rose a few weeks ago. I, I, said, I had said on Facebook, what are some topics that you want to hear discussed um, and want some answers to? And she said, well, I want to know why uh, we as Gentiles should study the Old Covenant, you know, the Old Testament, the old, old laws and, and whatnot. And initially I thought, well, this is a pretty easy one, um, you know, and, and so, but I, I didn't want to just spout off with some quick answer. Uh, so I started looking into the answer that I wanted to give and um, you know, so here's the thing. We, we, should, 
we should study the old covenant. Why? Because we're married into God's family. Okay, this is this is the general answer. Okay, we're married into God's family. Um, you know, there's all kinds of different scriptures that you can find uh, that point us to the idea that Jesus is the groom and we are the bride, okay? And, and God's chosen people were the Jewish people, uh, is the Jewish people. And scripture will tell us that we have been grafted in to that uh, Jewish heritage. And, and you know, whenever you get married, uh, you start uh, figuring out that you have to adopt the history, whether you like it or not, you have to adopt the history of your spouse's family, okay? Any married people in here like had surprises whenever you got married? Like, I did not know I was marrying into this chaos, right? Not me. <laughs> oh, gosh. We need to get to the end of this sermon. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, well, thankfully for me, I didn't, I didn't have anything too crazy that I married into. There was one thing, okay, that I did not know that I was marrying into. One, and it's a small thing, and you're going to laugh at me, but I wish that I would have known it, okay? And it, it's based off of the way that I was raised. Um, it, so I was raised, we were busy, okay? We were really busy. Uh, I, I was always at practices for this or that, and my parents, you know, taking me all over the place. Uh, we put in the mileage um, to get me places. But a as a result... Uh, eating meals was, we got to eat quickly. So most of the food that I grew up on came in a box, all right? My parents can cook. Y'all are great cooks. I love you. Y'all are great cooks. But we were busy, so there wasn't time for cooking stuff from scratch. Everything came in a box. If it didn't have hot in the name, we weren't eating it. Hot pockets, hot dogs, hot and readies. Like, like that's what we ate growing up. My favorite, my favorite meal was Velveeta shells and cheese, all right? I, I loved it, and I really think that Hannah tricked me because her family, they all, and I didn't know this, but they all made food from scratch. Like, they took real food and made it into more food. <laughs> Which doesn't sound like a bad thing, and I've come to appreciate it, but whenever we first got married, she tricked me because what she would do while we were dating, and it was the whole court, courting thing, right? she would make me all the foods that I loved. And if we were living high off the land, it was Velveeta shells and cheese, and then she would cut up hot dogs and put them in there. <laughs> Hello. So then, you know, one week into marriage, I go to the fridge and I open it, and I'm like, hey, there's no food in here. Well, there was. It was just, like, natural looking. <laughs> it wasn't in a box. And I was like, I don't know what to do. That's not a bad thing, right, but... Uh, we had friends of ours who, uh, Andy, and a uh, Andy and Amy Raber, they used to come here uh, a few years back. They moved to Ohio. Great people. Uh, well, they had an experience. Uh, the, the husband came from a very specific background that he did not bother to mention to his wife uh, until they go to a wedding together. And she shows up. It's a summer wedding. She shows up in like some sort of sundress thing or whatever. And uh, so they pull in and they notice there's buggies everywhere. Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you I come from an Amish background. So all the women are like covered from head to toe in black. That's a bad day, right? 
So whenever we get married, it's, it's our job. We take on the history. We take on that family lineage. We are married into that family. And now, you know, for, forever, Hannah will be a part of the Johnson family. And so our kids, 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 kids are going to know that Hannah was a part of that family. She's a part of the Johnson lineage and all the history that goes with that. Well, similarly, uh, we are married into God's family, and therefore, uh, God's people are the Jewish people, and we are married into that family. So, as we look at this idea of being married into God's family and understanding the history, one of the big things that's a question, especially in Christianity right now, is the laws of the Old Testament. And, you know, there are a lot of people uh, that say that the laws are inapplicable, is that right? Not applicable? That's probably better. My dad's uh, a teacher, so he'll correct me after this. Um, <laughs> I think it's not applicable. Um, and, and so we, we hear this a lot. And I actually heard uh, a big-name pastor recently say that the Old Testament is obsolete. It's not needed. Uh, the, the apostles didn't need it. Jesus came to bring a new, uh, a new covenant, and he did away with the old covenant and all of this. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. So why did he quote it all the time, right? I don't understand. Why did the apostles quote it all the time? Right? So we have to understand that this is a part of our history. And, and so the same God, so just a little bit of a paradigm shift, if you happen to fall into that category of thinking you don't need the Old Testament, the same God who created Jesus in the New Covenant is the same God that created Moses in the Old Covenant. Like God didn't change. Right? Some of the ways that uh, the interpretation that was brought about changed, but it was, it was to uh, give better understanding to what was there. Because Jesus even said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. Right? He didn't come to change anything and get rid of. And so it's our job to understand uh, where the Old Testament actually fits in and how it is applicable because it is applicable. Now, we can't, we can't read it, though, like it was written three years ago. Okay? You read it like it was written three years ago, and you've you got a lot of questions, right? It wasn't written in this culture. Uh, you'll have a lot of questions like that. But there's a way that we can interpret the Old Testament and the laws specifically so that we can have a better understanding uh, of how to move forward in reading the Old Testament. So as we get started in understanding the laws, there were two ways that they could have interpreted the laws themselves in that time, okay? And, and this is the way that a lot of the temple priests, you know, Pharisees, Sadducees, all of them, th this is the way that they could interpret the law, and this is the way that they did, which is how they ended up going the wrong direction. So the first way that you could interpret the laws is by the letter of the law, okay? This is exactly what uh, the words mean. What the words say is what the words mean. If you're going to sacrifice a bull like this, this is exactly what it means. If you're going to uh, have a graven image, this is exactly what it means. So I'm reminded of my son whenever I think of this, right? Because kids are good at doing only exactly what you tell them to do, <laughs> right? My son, uh, my older, he's eight now, but he was five playing t-ball, and uh, I was one of the assistant coaches and whenever they're five, you stand out in the field with them to try to help navigate, you know, help them go wherever they're supposed to go because they don't know what the heck's going on, you know. They just know that people are yelling at me and all of that. So uh, the, the head coach tells Gabriel, Gabriel, I want you to go play shortstop. So he trots out there, you know, like a cute, bobbly little kid. I don't think he actually runs like this, but it's better for stage performance. So anyway, 
he, uh, so he goes out, and he's kind of wandering around, out around near second base. And I was like, hey, buddy, listen, I want you to come over here. And I draw an X on the ground. I was like, there, that's where you're going to stand. I want you to stand right there. So he's like, okay, I'll stand right here. And the very next play, ball is hit, poof, and it's a ground ball right beside him. And he looks at it. And I'm like, buddy, what are you doing? The ball just went that way. He's like, but you said stand here. Right? That's following the letter of the law. It's there, there is no room for understanding the heart of, of what is being said, okay? And which brings me to the next way that you can interpret the laws, which is the heart of the law, all right? The heart of the law. And this, this is the way that, uh, you know, we, we need to interpret the laws. And this is the way that Jesus interpreted the laws. And if you understand what the heart of the law is, every single time that you read a law in the Old Testament, no matter how weird or odd you think it is because you don't own slaves, right, or whatever, you can go back and read this with one of two thoughts. And, and you pray through it. You read it and you say, God, show me how this reveals your character or how it reveals your relationship to me. Those are the two ways that you read Old Testament law, okay? Show me how this reveals your character, God, or how this reveals your relationship with me. And if you start praying that and reading through that in context, now all of a sudden it changes the meaning for you. And, and we're going we're gonna to look at a story here in Scripture. Uh, we're going to go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, where we can see this uh, really well illustrated, and, and it, it involves Jesus, so we know that we can interpret it correctly. All right. Luke chapter 19, he, this is uh, Jesus talking, or this is Jesus, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, Now we all remember the little song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, wee little man was he, there you go, yep, that's it, he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Now, here's the part that you have probably never heard before. Why did Zacchaeus climb into the tree? You can go ahead and answer with the wrong answer. Yeah, so he could see Jesus, right? Because he was small, he was short. But why didn't he just go to the front of the crowd that was there, like all of the other short people? That's, we're going to go there. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Then he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, that's the different priests and whatnot, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Now, Here's where the explanation comes in. So if we remember a lot of the different chief priests and whatnot, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they would all interpret laws based off of the letter of the law. Very strict interpretation, okay? And one of the laws was that you will have no graven images, right? 
So you have no graven images. You'll have uh, no other gods before me. All of these laws are linked into one, okay? And the problem is, is that these chief priests, they were paid pretty well. But they worked with the Romans. They worked with the Romans, and so all of their coinage that they would have been paid in uh, and that they would have had to use in the temple would have been Roman coins, which had Caesar's image engraved on it. And Caesar claimed to be God. Therefore, the, the priests encountered a problem. And so trying to interpret strictly off of the letter of the law, they said, okay, how can we get around this law but still obey it? Because, you know, to be quite honest, we're nervous after Abraham or, or Aaron's sons died whenever they didn't follow the law correctly. So we need to follow the law correctly but still get what we want. And, and any time that you see where somebody follows the letter of the law, what it does is it, it's a way to take care of themselves instead of their relationship with God. And you see that all throughout, all right? Especially in the New Testament, you'll see it a lot whenever Jesus encounters these different people. Whenever Paul is talking and he's talking about the struggle with law, right? He's not saying the law is bad, right? He's saying that there's a problem of self-righteousness in the law whenever people are more concerned about the law than they are the God that provided the law. And so what you see is these priests trying to figure out a way to go around a loophole and get what they want. They want to get paid because Jericho is a wealthy town, right? And so what they do is they say, hey, you're a good Jewish man, Zacchaeus. What we want you to do is, is we want to pay you really well. You see where he was wealthy. We want to pay you really well. So what we want you to do is you're going to become what's called a tax collector, and you are going to take all of these graven images from us. Well, all right, that sounds good enough. I'm going to get paid well. What's the downside? Well, you're going to be classified as a sinner. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, you're not allowed to be around anybody else. You're not allowed to touch people. And anybody that you do touch, they'll now be a sinner as well until the proper sacrifices and whatnot have been made. So you, because you are permanently going to have these coins with you, you're basically permanently going to be a sinner. And you're not welcome around everybody else. Why did Zacchaeus climb the sycamore tree? Because he wasn't allowed around everybody else. This was a good Jewish man that wanted to find out about Jesus, but he couldn't because he was classified as a sinner because the chief priests interpreted the laws based off of the letter of the law so that they could stay holy, and it was more about them than it was about everybody else that they were supposed to be shepherding. Jesus even goes after the, the, the chief priests in this um, and, and he starts referencing Ezekiel 34. That's where we're going to go. He starts referencing Ezekiel 34. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. All right, so Jesus, seeing these shepherds in front of them and how they've interpreted the law and cast out other people so that they could take care of themselves, these shepherds, Jesus decides to refer to uh, by going back to Ezekiel 34. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, and diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. Now, 
he refers to this, this whole chapter. They would have gone back to this whole chapter just based off of the few things that he said. I'm going to go back and reference here just, just for a second. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, that's a reference to him being God, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. All right, in Ezekiel, let's go to, I believe it's verse 10. Is that what I had listed? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I, that's God, will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Does that sound familiar to anybody? As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. Man, so Jesus uh, goes in and, and he's, he's talking with Zacchaeus and he realizes that these people have, have tried to work a loophole. They've tried to work a loophole in the law so that they can take care of themselves. And Jesus sees right through it. And he sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, man, you're a pretty good guy. I know this. And you can see where Zacchaeus believes himself to be an honest man because he says, if I've defrauded anybody of anything, I'll give it back four times. I'm an honest man, Jesus, but I'm not allowed around everybody else because the chief priests have cast me out. And Jesus says, salvation has come to you today because God is coming to seek and search out his lost sheep because my shepherds aren't doing their job. Man, I, I, what about, we, we all remember the woman who was caught in the act of adultery? For those of you who don't know, there was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery in Scripture. And uh, so they, the, uh, the, the different priests and elders and whatever, they all bring her before uh, Jesus. And they say, this woman was just caught in the act of adultery. And Moses commanded us to stone her. Now, forget for a second that the first half of that Scripture that they were just saying, Moses commanded us, says that the man needs to be stoned and the woman. Right? There's no man around. So you can leave that up to whatever gaps you want to fill in there, right? So they say that Moses commanded us. So what does Jesus do? Jesus kneels down, all right? Jesus kneels down, and he stands back up, and he says, okay, you're right. The law of Moses does say that. So I'll tell you what, the first, the, the first person who doesn't have any sin in your lives, you cast the first stone. What is he doing? Is he saying that the law is not applicable? No, what he's saying is, is that this law transcends adultery into the hearts of every person. And it transcends into the heart of an adulterous nation, the heart of an adulterous people who were fallen and broken and buried in sin. And, and the wages of sin is what? Death. And Jesus says, every one of you is an adulterer in your heart. The law of Moses is good, but you're misinterpreting it. You need to interpret it based off of God's character or your relationship with God, and you're not doing that. There's so many times throughout where we can see this played out. And, and we have to understand, laws are good. They are applicable to our lives. But how do you interpret them? See, I, for me personally, I don't bow down to graven images. I don't know about you. I, you know, I just, I don't typically make that my practice. Uh, we might have a weirdo or two here. 
Don't raise your hand. Uh, if you do that, we have help for you. But, right, so if you look at the laws on graven images, it doesn't make sense to us. You read through that, and most people are going to go, well, that doesn't apply, so I don't have to worry about that. But whenever you start understanding it's about God's character or our relationship with God, well, now all of a sudden the game changes. Because a graven image, suddenly, you, you understand to be anything that's getting in the way between you and God, anything that's taking your attention away, where it's intentional, I'm no longer going to spend time with God because I'm going to spend time with this. For a lot of us, that graven image is hard work. Right? It's the next pay raise. Right? I'm working hard. And, and we do it with good intentions, don't we? We do it where it's like, man, I've got to take care of my family. Right? I've got to get this next promotion because that's going to mean that we can buy this next car, which will make life a whole lot easier on my wife or, or my husband, whatever. Right? And, and so we start working and working and working. And it's, man, I've got to get up early. I've got to get up earlier so that I can get to work earlier. I've got to spend more time there. If I spend more time, they're going to notice me more. If I work harder, they're going to notice me more. I'm going to get the next next thing. I'm going to get the next thing. I'm going to get the next thing. I don't have time for quiet time because I work through my lunch break now. I don't have time for my quiet time because I'm spending extra time at, at the office. I don't have time to go to church because now I'm working on Sunday so that I picked up the extra shift so that I could buy the stuff, so that I could do the things, right? And, and now all of a sudden, it, it's looking a whole lot more like it's taking all of your focus and your relationship with God is non-existent because it's all about the next thing at work. And you do it with good intentions. I know that you do. What about your kid? What about your kid that it's no longer acceptable for you to do quiet time in the morning because, well, you got to get to the field before uh, the sun comes up and gets too hot for us to practice. We got to get to the next practice. We got to get to the next rehearsal. I've got to I've got to be able to provide this for them. I've got to be able to do that for them because we're more concerned with raising happy 8-year-olds than successful 35-year-olds. Now all of a sudden your kid has become the very graven image that you thought was not applicable to your life. We have to understand the laws are applicable to us today. Maybe not if you read them to the letter of the law, but if you read them to the heart of the law, it all applies. There will not be a single stroke that has passed away without it being fulfilled. Let's get to where we're going. So if we understand this idea, we're married into God's family, we understand how to interpret the laws, well now we come to, to this idea of divorce. This is, where, this is where it all hinges, okay? This idea of divorce in scripture. Because there's a certain interpretation uh, that we can have. Now, please keep in mind, if uh, this message is a message that is designed to encourage you today, and if I happen and I'm saying this serious, if I happen to say anything that comes across to you as insensitive, I apologize in advance. That's not my intent, okay? But we need to understand divorce in Scripture. Yes, it is about the relationship between husband and wife here on this earth. It is about that, okay? It, it, it is about this idea uh, that, that we should work through stuff as much as humanly possible. We should stick in there and fight it out, right? 
However, there is more to this because whenever we stop uh, at just the letter, we miss everything else that was intended for us to understand about God's character or his relationship with us. So I, I think we all remember, uh, if, you, if you haven't read it yourself, you've at least heard it said, right? In, in the book of Malachi, he, he says, God hates divorce. That has uh, afflicted a lot of people. It has afflicted a lot of people because people take that and they say, oh, man, that must mean that God hates me. That's not at all what that means. That's not at all what it means. You, we have to understand, see, back in Numbers, there's a law given uh, that, that says that if a woman displeases her husband, that he can give her a certificate of divorce. But if she displeases her next husband and he divorces her, then the first guy is not allowed to remarry her. That's weird. <laughs> Until you start to do a little bit of research and you start finding out that the reason that law was even created was because men were idiots. <laughs> and they would falsify transgressions against their wife so that they could get a divorce, go do whatever, or who? <laughs> you can fill in those blanks. And then come back to their first wife. And so that law was there so that they could, they could say, it's not, it's not just about, did she not load the dishwasher the right way? Right? It was so that they would stop making up false transgressions, and it was designed to protect the wife. And there's a lot of people that believe that all throughout Scripture, that, that God doesn't have the same regard for women that he does for men. And you are 100% incorrect. Everything that you see where God is involved with women, he protects and loves women. Every single time. You will not win this battle if you try to battle me on this. God loves and protects women all throughout Scripture. And, and so this was designed, God hates divorce. This was designed so that we could understand better his love and protection for us. You see, in Scripture, whenever we look at this idea that God hates divorce, we have to look at it, one, through the heart of the law, and then two, into this idea that we are married into God's family. Whenever we understand that God hates divorce in light of the heart of it, and we start looking at it through this lens of, well, I, 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 don't, I want to see how it reflects his relationship to me. Well, he hates divorce because he loves us. In the process, because he is married to us, he sees it all throughout scripture. You see where he comes and he says, I love you. I will not forsake you. I want to protect you. I will be faithful to you. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will, I will nurture you. I am here for you. I am your husband. I am here to, to, to take care of all of your needs because I love you. I hate divorce, not because you've had any mistakes in your life. I hate divorce because I am linked with you. I took the vows and I will not give you up. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I don't care how many times you try to run away. I'm not going to give up on you. Man, that's the idea of divorce in Scripture. 
See, God entered into this vow with us. And he said, I shed blood for you. And I know your heart. I know that you have a hard time following me sometimes. I know that sometimes it gets rough with me in your life. But I'm telling you, no matter how rough it gets, I'm never going to quit on you. So whenever we look at divorce in this house, it's going to be from the standpoint that God loves every single person. And we have entered into holy matrimony with the one true God, the one true husband. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you, Lord, so much, God, for your scriptures, God. Lord, I thank you that. God, I thank you that you have provided interpretation for this topic, God. Lord, I I pray right now, Lord, that any hurt hearts in here, God, anybody that's been hurt by the people that call themselves yours, I pray that you bind up the brokenhearted. Lord, like oil, God, rubbed on a wound, God, that you would just start to ease the pain. God, I pray for anybody in here who's in a relationship right now that's on the rocks. God, I pray that you can encourage and inspire the strength and the faithfulness, Lord, to continue to see it through even when it's rough, God. And that the the result, Lord, can be a, a deeper understanding for who you are in our lives, God, and the relationship that you have with us, God, that no matter how rough it gets, no matter how, how many different arguments we get in with you, God, Lord, that you can take it and you're willing to work with us, God. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you, God, for being an incredible God. We thank you for being an incredible husband. We thank you for being an incredible father. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.